Turn with me then in your Bibles, or tap in your Bibles if you've got it on your phone. Joshua chapter 6, we'll just read a few verses from verse 17. Joshua 6 and from verse 17. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed, when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Amen. Now, our evening service is typically more of a teaching style, and this one certainly is. So I hope you've got warm thumbs, because we're going to be flicking through quite a few verses this evening. Now, I know that some people like to take notes uh, every single service, and some people don't. And that's absolutely fine. But some of you are like me, and sometimes you do, and sometimes you don't. And uh, if you're one of those, perhaps this is one of those where uh, you'd like to take notes, because there's lots of toing and froing, okay? We're in uh, Joshua 6 then. We looked at Joshua 2 and 6 this morning, in which all of Jericho is completely cursed and totally destroyed, in verses 17 and 18. The whole lot, everything, dedicated to destruction. But was everything dedicated to destruction? Joshua says, destroy the whole city and all that is in it, except all the silver and gold. Look at verse 19. The valuable treasure in the city is plundered. And where is it plundered to? Not into anyone's pockets, but into the tabernacle of God, into the house of God where he lives. So what's all this about then? I don't know about you, but on the surface, I think it seems quite selfish of the Lord to behave like this. Perhaps even hypocritical. Don't touch anything. It's all cursed, except for all the really valuable stuff. I'll have that. Well, this is a little illustration of a few truths that we might want to go into briefly here. The first is that this is an illustration of what's happening to Rahab. When Jericho itself and all that is in it is cursed and raised to the ground, like we heard this morning from one of the kids, splat, the whole lot is gone, Rahab and her family alone is regarded by the Lord not as cursed, but as precious treasure. And he pulls her and her family out of that accursed place and saves them. We mentioned this morning that by faith in Christ, Rahab went from being his enemy to being his prized possession. So he pulls her out of certain destruction and places her like treasure in his own family, in his own house. He makes her, this person and her family in this cursed city, his pride and joy. He saves her like she's silver and gold. Out of a cursed and doomed city, he plucked his princess. 
But it's also an illustration of how the Lord always deals with all of his people, isn't it? Not just Rahab. But you and I, if we are Christians this evening, if we're believing in the Lord Jesus, since we are treasured by him, when his patience gives way to his justice and he judges sin like we saw this morning, he spares and saves us. That's always the way he's done it. Take a moment now. Can you recall anyone else who was rescued a bit like Rahab was? As if they are treasure in a cursed place. Anyone else who alone with their family was rescued out of a city that was going to be destroyed? We're thinking of Lot, aren't we? Some of you are, I'm sure. Lot and his family pulled out of Sodom and Gomorrah. We might remember Noah and his family alone on the earth were rescued when the whole thing was cursed and destroyed in judgment. Jacob's family alone was rescued out of the land that they were in during the famine in Genesis. Goshen was preserved through the plagues on its own, God's people treasured out of that cursed country of Egypt at the time. And the exiles later on in the history of our fathers were rescued out of Babylon and Assyria when Babylon and Assyria went kasplat, when they were destroyed. So this is how God has always dealt with his people. When we are like people like Rahab, when we are his treasure in the middle of a cursed situation, when his judgment comes, he rescues us. And it's as an extension of that illustration that we can see what's going to happen to us if we're believing in the Lord Jesus on the last day in the future. You see, like we said this morning, this whole world is very much like Jericho, cursed because of sin, doomed to destruction. The justice of Christ is heading straight for us. And when he returns and everything is burned up in his judgment, his people alone, his people alone are seen as his silver and gold, his treasure, his precious prized possession. We are going to be plucked out, plucked out of that fire, plucked out of that destruction, rescued, placed in his home like jewels in his crown. We are his spoils of war. Now, beautiful though all that is, we have a problem. Because what's happening here in Joshua 6, where this silver and gold is taken out of the accursed place of Jericho and placed into the tabernacle where God lives, that is a problem. It seems to fly in the face of all of the laws in the Old Testament about strict holiness, doesn't it? How can cursed things like gold from an idol shrine be used in the house of our Father? How? How can a sinner like Rahab live with the people of Christ? She's a Gentile. She used to be a prostitute. How can she live with the people of Christ? And how can you and I, sinners, Gentiles, separated by thousands of years and thousands of miles and so much sin, how can we share a home with the Holy Spirit? We've been polluted by sin, haven't we? You might remember how the prophet put it in Isaiah 6. 
Woe is me, I am undone, I have seen the king. I'm in the same place as Christ. I'm completely undone because I am a man of unclean lips, my sin has polluted me, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Sin pollutes, it spoils, it spreads. How can anything that has anything to do with sin exist in the same place as God? Something must happen. Either an event or a process in which this cursed loot is changed into a precious treasure that is fit to coexist with God. Now, at first, we might think about purification. Perhaps if we can go through a process that removes all the dirt, a bit like how we do our washing up, we just purify the dishes, you know, you just wash all the dirt off. Perhaps if we can purify. You see, our Father is too pure for mere purity, isn't he? What does he say in his law? He says, be holy as I am holy. What do we need? We don't need just the absence of sin. What do we need? The presence of holiness. The presence of righteousness. We need to be sanctified or holified. Listen to how it's put in Hebrews again. We've been there quite a bit today, haven't we? Hebrews 12 and verse 14 says this. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So this evening, God willing, we'll be looking at these verses and looking at this spoil of war and learning from it about sanctification. That's what we're on this evening. And we'll be answering the questions, how can sinners be grafted into the church of Christ? How can sinners like you and me live with a holy God like our Lord Jesus? So turn with me now to Numbers and chapter 31. And these verses are going to shed some light on on these things for us. Numbers 31, and we'll read verses 12 and 13, and then 21 and 23. Now think about Joshua 6, the spoils of war taken out of Jericho, and then look at this in Numbers 31, and from verse 12. Then they, that is the children of Israel, brought the captives, the booty, that means the, uh, the loot, the spoil of war, and the spoil to Moses, to Eleazar the priest, and to the congregation of the children of Israel, to the camp in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. And Moses, Eleazar the priest, and all the leaders of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. And then look at verse 21. Then Eleazar the priest said to the men of war who had gone out to the battle, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord commanded Moses. Only the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead, everything that can endure fire, you shall put through the fire, and it shall be clean. And it shall be purified with the water of purification. That's what we read about in Numbers 19 earlier. But all that cannot endure fire, you shall put through the water. Now, I don't know for certain, but it seems that this process happened to all the spoil of war every time. You might not agree with me on that, and that's okay. This is the process that would make cursed stuff of Jericho 
holy stuff of the tabernacle. Previously cursed plunder, whether that's silver or gold or sinners like Rahab, like you and me, were sanctified by these three things that we find in Numbers 31. First, capture. Second, fire. And third, the water of purification. So let's look at these three things. It'll be a bit quicker than it might be expected. Capture. So we, being sinners, brought into the house of God, were sanctified by capture. You get that in Numbers 31, 12 and Joshua 6, 19. We said that a change needs to take place for cursed things like uh, the silver and the gold, like dirty things like sinners. A process, a change needs to take place to make these unholy things holy things. The first step is this single decisive event of capture. When that stuff, that treasure was captured from Jericho in Joshua 6, it instantly became the possession of Christ. How, did, how was it called? Do you remember in Joshua 6? All of these things will be brought into the treasury of the Lord. They are his holy things to be used in his house. And so there is a sense in which sanctification is a done deal. The moment that sinners become the possession of Jesus Christ. We are sanctified, as it were, by his touch. When he plunders us from the kingdom of Satan and this world and transfers us into his kingdom. The Lord Jesus, speaking about how he wins and captures sinners in Matthew 12, verse, what have I got here? verse 25, he talks about plundering sinners from Satan's kingdom. The moment he touches them, they become his property. I mean, how did the high priest sanctify the tabernacle? Do you remember? Once a year, he'd go in and he would touch everything with blood. The blood of sacrifice. He just sprinkled it over all sorts of things in there. The moment he touched it with the blood, it became holy. And in the same way, sinners like you and me are made holy in the sight of God the instant in which the Holy Spirit applies to us the blood of the Son of God. The Holy Spirit applies the death of Christ to us when we are sinners, and it washes away our sin, it makes us holy. There is this single moment of our conversion, our capture by Jesus Christ. When we become Christians, we make a break with sin. It's done. We become holy. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Romans 6 and verse 22. Thinking now about this capture that makes us holy. 6.22 But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. You have it. Now this morning, when we talk about union with Christ, we use the picture of marriage, didn't we? We talked about marriage. Now, some of us here have been married a very, very long time, haven't we? I've only been a couple of years. Don't ask me how many. If you've been married for 30 years, are you more married than you were on the first day? No. 
Although the marriage is deeper, it's no more of a marriage. There's this single decisive moment where once and for all you are married. And some of us would call it a moment of capture. This is the moment we're talking about when the Lord Jesus captures us and transfers us instantly into the house of God. Just like the silver and gold is taken out of Jericho and becomes holy, so sinners captured by Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit applies his death to them and they become holy in his sight. Another verse for you here is Colossians and chapter 1, where you have in verses 12 and 13, where it says, uh, the Father has qualified us to be partakers in the, in, of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He's qualified us. We're made holy. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. We're captured. We belong now to Jesus Christ. We are holy. So that's the first thing that sanctifies sinners, makes believers uh, holy, capture. What was the second thing in Numbers 31? They take all the spoil of war, capture it, and then they put it through the fire, don't they? They put it through the fire. Numbers 31 and verse 23, they put it through the fire. Now, although sanctification can be said to be an instant, a moment in time, a done deal at, in, a, in a moment, the scripture also presents it as a process. And this is what we're more familiar with, isn't it? This is certainly what it feels like. We don't feel very holy one day, do we? But uh, it is a process. Look here at uh, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 11. For both he who sanctifies, that is Christ, and those who are being sanctified are all of one. There's a process here. And what puts them together so nicely is Hebrews 10 and verse 14. A moment and a process. For by one offering, at a moment in time, by one offering, he has perfected forever. A moment in time, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So sanctification is shown by the scriptures to be a moment and a process. And in the fire, we see that process where the loot has to go through the flames before it can be called holy and suited for the house of God. Now, if I were to ask you, what do you think it is about fire that makes it a suitable picture for sanctification? What sort of things would you say? We could start bullet pointing, couldn't we? Fire burns. It destroys the dirt. It's lethal. Fire leaves no trace of the pollution. Whatever remains shines like it was never dirty. Fire spares nothing. There is no dirt that it will not burn. Fire is extreme. Nothing else is tough enough to remove all the dirt. And this is what our fathers, the Israelites, saw when they passed all of this silver and gold that they took out of Jericho through the fire. And so they learned about the sanctification of believers. It is by fire. How did John the Baptist talk about it? Do you remember the Lord Jesus is coming, he says, and he will baptize with fire. Our old self, when we become Christians, is 
burned up. It's hot, it's uncomfortable, it's even painful. There's that hymn that we sometimes have the courage to sing. I asked the Lord that I might grow, that I might be sanctified. And as the hymn goes on, we learn how painful that can be. The fire that the Lord uses to sanctify us spares no sin. It goes on and on and on in our lives until we are completely holy upon our resurrection. And just like fire is extreme and nothing else can really clean like it does, nothing will clean the sin out of us but the holifying power of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So how is it that we are sanctified first capture where the death of Christ is applied to us and we're declared holy in the sight of God? Then fire, this process by which we are conformed more and more to the image of Christ and our sins get burned away and we get changed. But thirdly, the water of purification. Numbers 31 verse 23. Now this isn't just any water, is it? There's something special about it. The water of purification. Now what is that? I wonder if you were able to work it out from Numbers 19. So it can be a bit tricky. What we're talking about here, the water of purification was um, something that was, it was like a recipe. You would take a special sacrifice. An animal would be killed, completely burned up. Nothing would be left. Everything's burned up. And then you'd take its ashes and you'd mix them with water. I know it sounds gross, but this is what they did. And then that water that was mixed with the ashes would be used to clean and purify, ceremonially purify whatever it washed. The emphasis is not on the water, but on the ashes. It's not water, it's water of purification. We're supposed to focus on the sacrifice that was needed to make that water. All that cursed plunder that came out of Jericho went through the fire and was washed in the death of the sacrifice, and thus it was made holy. Thus it could be used in the house of God. So what do you think is so special about this water that makes it a good picture of our sanctification? This water is based on sacrifice and it's laced with death. And so our sanctification as believers is based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and laced with his death. When we are praying and we say, Father, please make me more like Jesus Christ. Make me more holy. Overcome sin in my life. God answers that prayer by applying to us with the Holy Spirit the death of his Son. We are washed in his death. The New Testament talks about our union with Christ and it says that by his death we died with him on the cross. Our becoming holy is a daily dying to sin and a daily being reborn of water and the spirit as John put it. Now we're running out of time so I don't get to tell you how this is all related to baptism. 
Now, you can set your heads running and think about baptism and all that means and see how that's related, but you'll have to try and work that out for yourself because we're running out of time. You can text me about it later if you want. But for now, just look, look at these verses then so we can see how we can partake of the death of Christ in our sanctification. Colossians 3, verses 3 to 5, put it like this. For you died, you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. The death of Christ is related to our sanctification. Another one is 2 Corinthians 4.10. And then I'll read to you here Ephesians 5. Verses 27, uh, 25 to 27. These words are often read at weddings, aren't they? But see how the death of Christ is applied to us for our sanctification. Ephesians 5 and from verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Well, there you are then. All that plunder that was taken out of Jericho is passed through, is captured, and so it's declared holy by God. And that's a picture of us, sinners captured by Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit applies his death to them. And so they are called holy. We pass, with all that plunder then, pass through a fire to purify it. Just as we are purified in this process of sanctification, where we're made more and more holy, less and less sinful as we go on in our lives. And then it was passed through the water of purification, where that sacrifice was applied to it. And so we, Christians, day by day, have the death of Jesus Christ applied to us by the Holy Spirit to purify us from our sin. Now at this point, the Christian will ask, how am I sanctified? It's all very interesting to hear, but how do I do that? How do I become sanctified? Let's get a bit practical. What does that mean for me day by day? How am I sanctified? Well, the scriptures are very clear. Sanctification is something which God does to us. He captures us from the kingdom of Satan. He puts us in the possession of Christ. He purifies us with the fire. He washes us with that water. The Lord says all the way through the Old Testament things like, I, the Lord, am he who sanctifies you. That's repeated all the way through. Especially, sanctification is applied to the Holy Spirit. When we're asking, how am I sanctified? We say, it's the Holy Spirit that does it. If we turn to Ezekiel, chapter 36, and verse 27. This is a good one for showing the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 36, and verse 27. I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments, and do them. Or you might have Romans 15, 16, or you might have 1 Peter 1 and verse 2. 
Let me read that one too. That's a good one. 1 Peter 1 and verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit. But sometimes sanctification is said to be the work of the Father. Jude 1 1 says that. And sometimes it's applied to Jesus Christ, like Ephesians 5, like we just read, that he may sanctify the church. In 1 Corinthians, Jesus is said to be our, our sanctification. And so this is a great doctrine for showing how the whole Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, are all one in their action of sanctifying Christians. So how am I sanctified? God does it. God sanctifies us. But is that the whole story? Sometimes we wish it were. But how are we sanctified? It's something that we do to ourselves. The Old Testament is bursting with phrases like sanctify yourself, consecrate yourself. You even get that in Joshua 3, Joshua 3, 5. And the New Testament is not thin on the ground with that either. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1, Philippians 2 verse 12, sanctify yourselves. And so we have these two things, God does it and we do it. Romans 8.12 puts it together so beautifully. Romans 8.12 says, uh, Romans 8.12 and following really, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's that cooperation between ourselves and God in sanctification. Now, if I were you, I'd be thinking along these lines. But I want to know, how am I sanctified? You've just told me, who does it? How am I sanctified? Well, how do we normally summarize sanctification? Do you know if someone says, what, what is sanctification? There's a go-to phrase. Being made more like Jesus. More like Jesus, isn't it? Being made more like Jesus, that's how we're sanctified. It's getting more and more of Jesus Christ inside you. So that he shines out of you in all that you say and think and do. It's growing closer and closer to that point where you and Jesus Christ are hardly different people. One day our great hope is not that we will see him like he is and therefore we will be like him. So how are you sanctified? How do you grow more holy? Get more of Jesus Christ inside you by the Holy Spirit. Let's say uh, you bumped into someone on the street and they had a very unusual question for you. And they said, how do I get more of Jesus Christ inside me? Where do I go to get more of Jesus Christ inside me? Where is the only place on planet Earth where you can find more of Jesus Christ, grow more holy, become more like him? That is achieved by attending what we call the means of grace. Now, when we say means of grace, what we really mean is the means of Christ. You see, there are things that God has given to us, human beings, as a means of receiving Jesus Christ into ourselves. Here they are. 
It is by listening to the preaching of the word of Christ. It is by taking the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And it is by prayer. When we take these things by faith, what's happening is we are receiving more and more and more of Jesus Christ into our very beings and are thus being sanctified. At this moment, hearing the preaching of the word of Christ, we are being sanctified. When we take the Lord's Supper, if we are baptised, when we are praying, we receive Jesus Christ into ourselves. So, how am I sanctified? Where do I go? Get stuck into the whole life of the church. That one place on planet Earth where the Father has decided this is where you receive Jesus Christ into your souls and are made holy as I am holy. And that's why Rahab and all of those silver and gold and every sinner is brought into the house of God. That gold and silver moves from its pagan shrines, it is sanctified and put into the house of God. Like Rahab is taken from Jericho, repents and believes and becomes into the people of God. She's sanctified there. And you and I, if we are believers, that's what happens. We're captured by Jesus Christ, sanctified in our lives and put into the church where we receive more and more of Jesus Christ and become holy as he is holy. Well, who knew so much was wrapped up in Numbers 31? There's me thinking it was weird about fire and water purification and red cows and the lot. After all of that, the loot is captured, fired, washed, and what once was cursed and filthy is now suitable to shine in the house of God. You could walk into the tabernacle and you could see there with all of the holy things in this holy place on planet Earth you could see silver and gold that were once idols in Jericho because they'd been sanctified. Suitable now to shine as holy things in the service of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here we are this evening, trophies of his grace if we're, sa if we're saved, if we're believers. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been captured, taken from one kingdom, placed into another. We belong to him. We have been burned up in the Holy Spirit. We have been drowned in the death of Jesus Christ so that we die to sin every day. We live to holiness in Jesus every day. And now you and I, wonder of wonders, we are fit to shine in the church, serving our God like the holy things in his house. Let me just read to you now a single verse or two. And then we will briefly pray and sing to close. This comes from 1 Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have just uh, delved into some of your word and uh, Lord, it's a little overwhelming to see 
how much you have put in there. And uh, Lord, when we really think about how overwhelming it is, it's, it's only because you've done so much good for us and you've taught us so much about your good intentions and your loving care and attention that you lavish upon our lives. We know from your word that you desire that we should be like Jesus Christ. And so we pray according to your word and according to your will that you should make us holy as he is holy. Help us as we battle against sin and sanctify ourselves to your service. We pray, Lord, that day by day we should see and know and believe that you are sanctifying the ungodly, making us godly. We thank you, Lord, that in the last day we shall be preserved like Rahab and we shall shine. We shall shine like suns in the kingdom of the Son of God. We thank you for this encouragement and thank you for all that you have put here. And we ask then that you would uh, help us to retain these things and understand them. Help us to chew over them and remember them. Simplify them in our minds and apply them to us by the Holy Spirit that we should be all the more overjoyed and overawed at the things that you have done for us in Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. We'll sing together now. Oh, that the Lord would guide my ways to keep his statutes still. This is Psalm 119.
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Saviour, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. Amen.